your Bible and you'll turn to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to begin for several Sundays looking at godly parenting and grandparenting. And as we get started on this, uh, I've, every year I tell the church that when it comes to Mother's Day and Father's Day and anything to do with family, I, I always feel that somebody else ought to be preaching because in many ways I don't feel like I've, I've been a good husband or good father. My, my family would agree with me probably on most days. But, but this is such a serious thing of being a godly parent and being a godly, a godly grandparent. And it is so needed in our world today. So, and what I'm getting ready to tell you, I hope you, you know that I'm preaching this to myself. And it always speaks to me before I bring it to the pulpit. And I, I'm honest and sincere in saying that, okay? Let me read, uh, let me say a prayer and then we'll read the scripture, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our desire is that we would be godly and Christ-like parents and grandparents. And, Father, so often we fail you. So often, Lord, we, we do not lead and set the right example for our children and grandchildren. Lord, we continue to be human, and life is hard, and family relationships get strained so many times. But, Father, help us to hear from the Word of God your instructions as to how we should live as parents and grandparents. And, Lord, I just pray that you will bless. Lord, there's so many needs. Lord, I know that there are many homes that, there's only a single parent, and perhaps there are many homes that grandparents are pitching in and helping. And, Lord, I just thank you that you always provide a way. But, God, I pray that these messages will be encouraging and instructional. And, Lord, I pray that the result would be that we will surrender ourselves as parents and grandparents to you, and we would surrender our homes to you. And, Lord, may we follow and obey and implement what you teach in your word. For we ask in Christ's name, amen. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the ordinances which the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. As we study these verses in the coming weeks, one of the things that we're going to find out is this, that as these people have been delivered from Egypt, and Moses has led them. And I'm not going to tell you why they wanted Moses to be God's spokesman. We'll get to that next week. But Moses has become the spokesman to the people. And so what Moses is passing on to the people is the instruction from God. And I want you to know that. These are the instructions of God for his people. That you may do them in the land of which you're going to possess it that you may fear the Lord your God. Now look at this next phrase. You and your son and your son's son. Folks, God is not just talking to that present generation, but he's talking to three generations there. He's talking to the parents. He's talking to them about their children, and then he's talking about their grandchildren. God is saying here that the instructions that he is giving them to cause them to fear them is to be passed on for generations to come. He says, you, your son, your sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, and look at the next phrase, all the days of your life. Folks, these are things that God wants us to follow and do every day, and that your days may be prolonged. 
Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. And again, notice, God says, Hear what I'm telling you, and then do, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. And folks, here's a principle that I believe all of us know. In the Word of God, God teaches us that when we obey Him, it brings blessings. Now, God wants us to be blessed. God blesses us even when we're out of His will. God still keeps on blessing us. But folks, when we surrender ourselves and our homes and our lives to God, it brings great blessings when we obey Him. And here's God's instructions. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. Now listen to verse 7. And you shall teach them to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Folks, before I go any farther, I want to just say this. Thank God for mothers and for grandmothers. And if you haven't thanked your mother or grandmother, if they're still living, I encourage you to do that today. And before I get into the message, I just want to share something that greatly impacted me. I've been waiting for Mother's Day to share this. But back in the fall, we had a church member who was placed in Roxburgh Nursing Center for some physical therapy, some physical rehab. And the person was up there about five or six weeks. During that time, as I would visit them, I could see across the hall, and in the room across the way was an elderly lady. I'm not going to call her name or the name of her son who visited her every day. But I did know a lot about that family. First of all, this lady had lost her husband. She and her husband and her children had been very, very faithful in serving the Lord in their local church. She not only had grown old, but she had also developed dementia. One of her great needs was nutrition. And as I'm sure many of us know, that toward the end of dementia's process, a person begins to lose her appetite and even interest in eating. So her son, every day, would try and be up there during the day to make sure that she got a certain amount of nutrition. And one day, one afternoon, they were bringing snacks by, and they gave a cup of ice cream to the lady. Well, she absolutely had no interest in it. So her son picked it up, took the top off, put the spoon in it, and offers it, offered it to her. And again, I just happened to be looking. And I couldn't tell what they were saying, but she offered it back to her son. And I thought, isn't that a mother's love? Always serving others always looking out for someone else. But he refused, and he began to feed her. Well, when my visit ended, I stepped across the hall to speak, and I looked at her, and I said, Is that ice cream good? And she took that ice cream cup and offered it to me and said, Would you like to have it? That touched my heart. No one but God can put that type of giving and self-sacrificing love in a person's heart. 
except God. That's the way our mothers have been wired by God. Thank God for mothers and grandmothers. Now, let's get to the message. As we celebrate another Mother's Day and celebrate the gift of parents and children, I pray that each one of us as parents and grandparents will hear the teachings of God about our Christian role, our Christian responsibility, and our Christian duty as godly parents and grandparents. And some things that I want to state before we begin, and I want you to know something. I am not here to discourage. I'm not here to run down the world that we live in. It's so easy to do that and not have a different plan, not have something to share that will make our world different. But, folks, it's not too late for God to turn our world around. And we must not stop believing that we can change our world if we surrender ourselves to the word and instruction and fear of God and obey him. But would we not all agree that our world is in a mess? I won't go beyond that. Our country, has it been lost as we have known it for generations? Has our country been lost because we have abandoned the one true God and his word and turned to the ways of men and the ways of the world? How about our homes? Is Jesus Christ truly the Lord of our home and your home? Are our homes spiritual nurseries where we are helping our our children come to know the Lord? Or have we delegated the duty of raising our children in a Christian environment to the church and to the state and even to one parent or to our grandparents? Folks, have our homes become a place of spiritual growth and worship or battlefields? Battlefields between husbands and wives and between children and parents. Folks, there's evidence everywhere that we need something to happen in our society and nation and even in our families, even in our hearts as individuals that would cause us to get back to what God intended, most especially for the home and for the family. Well, how in the world can we do that, folks? And I want to tell you, and and I'm not trying to knock the current knowledge and people who are so educated. But, folks, we cannot get enough Dr. Phil's. We cannot get enough books and teachings on how to raise a child to bring this world back to what God intended until we get back to the Word of God and find out what God says that you and I should be doing. And I'm expecting an amen from that, okay? Folks, no wonder the devil seems to lead us away from Scripture, even in our own lives. Folks, we must ask ourselves this question, does the Word of God, the Bible, speak to us as parents and grandparents? And folks, the answer to that is absolutely yes, it does. And we need to hear again what God says about being a godly family, a godly parent, a godly grandparent. And so for the next several Sundays, I want us to focus on what God is saying about godly parenting and godly grandparenting in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And folks, please hang with me because this is just the first, the introductory message, so to speak. But folks, you and I have got to understand what is going on prior to this time. And folks, I want to go back to Abraham. 
God has already promised a man named Abraham that he would become a father of a special nation that would be used by God. Folks, I want you to know that one person's commitment to God, one family's commitment to God can change the course of not only a generation but the world. I would remind you that when the genealogy of Jesus is mentioned in Matthew chapter 1, as Matthew begins, he says that Jesus is the son of David and the son of Abraham. Abraham's life and his stand for God made a difference in his day and in the nations that would follow. And listen in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who curses you I will curse. And by you all the families of the world shall bless themselves. And folks, let me tell you why this is so important. What was happening in Genesis up to that point? God had created Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, in full fellowship with him. And, and God gave them the freedom to choose right and wrong, and they began to choose wrong. And folks, as you follow, in, in those first 11 chapters in Genesis, people began to follow God, people began to rebel and not follow God. And a good example, the first children that Adam and Eve had, Cain and Abel. You remember? Abel wanted to serve and worship God. Cain wanted to serve himself and honor and exalt himself. So Cain killed his brother. When the judgment of God fell, Cain rebelled and went in an opposite direction, and the people that followed him became more and more evil. Folks, let me tell you something. Our lives do count. I think about the time of, of Noah and the flood. Noah in that day determined that he would follow God and obey God. I'm not trying to preach everything but Deuteronomy 6, but folks, I'm trying to lead up to something. People rebelled and would not believe. Noah believed and saved he and his family. In Genesis chapter 11, right before Abraham is called by God, the people are building the Tower of Babel, which was their way of saying, we are greater than God and we'll build a tower up to God and we'll remove God from his throne. We will be gods ourselves. And you remember what God did? God confused their language and scattered them across the earth. Folks, centuries of history tell us there's always been people who followed God and people who rebelled. Is there any great need in our day to see the godly and the ungodly in our world? But here's this man, Abraham, who decides that he will follow God. And as God began to work in Abraham's life, guess what? A nation was born the nation of Israel. And folks, listen, God had special plans for that nation. Let me read those to you in Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. Exodus 19. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, They're at Mount Sinai. They've been delivered from slavery in Egypt. They've come to Mount Sinai to get God's word, what God wants them to do. And listen to what God says. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You've seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, listen to this, 
if you obey my voice and keep my covenant. Listen to this while God says, you shall be my own special possessions among all the people for all the world. All the earth is mine. Folks, when you and I say that we're special to God, we're not bragging about ourselves. We're bragging about the character of God. As a follower and believer of Jesus Christ, we are God's special possession. All of the world is His. Everyone is His. But we are His special possession. But listen to what God desires for you and I in verse 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And let me stop right there and point something out. How many of us look at ourselves as priests? Now, let's be honest. When you think of a priest, what do you think? Somebody in a robe, somebody in a clerical outfit with the, the, the collar? But, folks, in this day, and, and I wish I could remember where I first read this. In this day, a priest, his duty was to help men find God. One of the greatest illustrations I've ever heard was of a, being a bridge builder, uh, someone who helps sinful, lost mankind find the holy God. When I was in college, a lady who had been a professional basketball player, and she was about, I can remember, 6'6 six, six or, or taller. She spoke at a chapel service. Her life had been wrecked by sin. She had been involved in drugs, alcohol, sex outside of marriage. And she came to know the Lord, and her life was radically changed. And in that, in that chapel service that day, she did like this. She said, now I know that my life is to be a bridge between people that are lost like I was and the God who loves me so much. Folks, can you and I understand that as a people of God, even as the church of Jesus Christ, we have been placed to be a bridge between people that do not yet know Christ and because we do, we're that connecting point. And pull that down into the family, folks. As parents, we're supposed to be the bridge between our children who are growing up and are going to be so easily tempted and led away from the things of God. We are to be that bridge between a loving, holy God and our own children and grandchildren. Listen also, this is not just an Old Testament teaching. Listen out of First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And Peter is speaking to the church. Listen to this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. There's that word priest again. A, a holy nation. God's own people that you may declare. Listen to this. You may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are proclaimers. We are preachers, every single one of us. Once you were no people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And listen to this. He says, you are a holy nation, a holy nation. But let me, I missed one passage of Scripture. Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. And again, I want you to know that the concept of being a, a priest, a bridge builder, is Old Testament and New Testament. And these words found in the first chapter of Revelation. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And look at verse 6. And made us a kingdom 
priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Folks, whether or not you and I will take upon ourselves that responsibility, God has called you and I as Christian parents and Christian grandparents to be priests and to be the bridge that gaps between a lost and sinful world and our children to God. And he also says that we are to be a holy nation, a people that are separated from the world's ungodly ways and walking in God's righteous way and according to his holy will. And so, folks, when you and I put these two together, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, I believe that God is trying to tell us that he wanted not only Israel to be a light and witness to the entire world, but he wants you and I to be. But, folks, you and I know the Old Testament history. They rejected God's plan as a nation, so God raised up his church. All followers of Christ are to be his kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And, folks, as Christians, this is God's plan for you and I, and it's God's plan for our, for our families. As parents, we would be bridge builders, helping and assisting not only our children, but all people to find the love and grace and mercy of God. Now, let me add something else in. In Deuteronomy 6, and again, you know, I might be just boring you to death today. I'm sorry if I am, but folks, I'm to tell you, I believe it's an important passage in the Word of God. In the Old Testament, they eventually built tabernacles and temples where people worshipped. The New Testament church began to meet in homes, but they built churches like the ones that we're in right now. But folks, this is thousands of years prior to this in the book of Deuteronomy. So where did the people meet to worship? Folks, there were no tabernacles. There are no temples. Where do the people meet to worship? They met in their homes. That's where they met. And folks, the word of God was passed on by parents. The word of God was not only in the minds of the people of God, but in their hearts and in their lives. And parents and grandparents began to share that word and message from God to their children. Folks, the first institution of worship in the Bible was the home. And the participants in the worship was the family. And folks... I know. Leading your children and your grandchildren is hard, but folks, that is the instruction of God. And God's design is that there be a gathering of, of believers in the church for worship, but God has always desired and designed the home to be an instrument of spiritual training and worship. It is important that you have a pastor, an associate pastor, and Sunday school teacher, and all the leaders here. But God isn't saying that's all you need. Folks, we need to share the gospel in our homes, especially in the early years of child development. And folks, you know what? I believe the devil's trying to capture our children just as quick as he can. We need from the get-go to pray for them. We need from the get-go to train them. And let me give you a verse. And I'm, I'm just about finished this morning, okay? In Proverbs 22, verse 6, how many of you know that verse by heart? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let me read that verse to you in the Living Bible. 
teach a child to choose the right path, and when he is older, he will, re- he will remain upon it. And how many of us have said, well, I tried to raise my child in the church. I tried to present them with the gospel. They grew older. They deserted the church. They no longer care. Folks, I want to tell you something about this verse. Let me, I'm going to read some notes to you out of the Full Life Study Bible notes, okay? Number one, parents must commit themselves to godly training and discipline of their children. Secondly, the Hebrew word for train means to dedicate. Christian training has as its purpose the dedication of our children to God and to his will. And here's something else that I found out about this Hebrew word about train or teach. The same root can also mean to give our children a cultivation or taste for the things of God. Now, let me ask you something. How many of us influence at a young age what our children eat? I'll give you a a true story. When our girls were young, they both were anemic. And Debbie got really concerned, and she asked Dr. Gentry, our family doctor, she said, what can I do to help them to get over this. And he said, you need to start cooking liver, beef liver. Y'all ever done that for your child? Good reception, wasn't it? (laughs) Debbie found a recipe that if you soaked it in Italian dressing and then fried it, it was good. Well, I went to Food Lion and bought some beef liver. And brought it home. And I forgot that, you know, we were supposed to be having liver that night for supper. And I came in kind of in a bad mood anyway. And I, I, I forgot about the whole purpose of eating the beef liver, that it was going to build their blood up and get them beyond being anemic. So they were sitting there watching to see what I was going to do. I didn't realize that. But I cut my first piece of beef liver and stuck it in my mouth. And before I realized what I'd said. I said, ugh, this does not taste good. And when I, heard, when I said that, I heard forks dropping on plates all around the table. <laughs> we threw that beef liver out. You know why? They never tasted it. But it was my poor influence as a dad. Next week, folks, one of the first things that I'm going to say is that we can't be godly parents and godly grandparents until we get right with God ourselves as an adult. That's not a criticism. That's just an honest admission. We cannot ask our children to be faithful to the Lord and follow Him if we are not doing it ourselves. And if we are hypocrites, if we're living one way at the church and another way at home, guess who finds out first? our children. It is a very important decision that you and I make that we will serve the Lord. You remember what Joshua said? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let me say one final thing about this verse and I'm going to close, okay? Train up a child in the way that he should go or teach a child to choose the right path. When he is older, he will remain upon it. How many of us have had a child? Don't raise your hand. How many of us have had a wayward child? Probably all. Folks, there's a point in our life when we do the best we can and then the child becomes old enough to make the right decision or make their own decision, whether it's right or wrong. 
God taught me a lesson, and I'm not even going I can't share how I found this message, this lesson out. But God taught me a lesson yesterday. I met someone that I thought just was not going to turn back to God. And I met him yesterday, and God was all in their life. And God told me, Herbert, you gave up too quick on that person. But I never did. You see, we must trust God if we bring our children up in instruction of the Lord, He'll take care of the rest. But we must make that commitment to be godly parents and godly grandparents. And folks, this is what Moses is told by God to tell the people. Get right with me and you'll be a blessing to your children. Let us pray. Father, we would openly admit to you that being a godly parent is so hard and grandparent. And Father, so often in a world that we live in, we get so discouraged. Is it making any difference that we bring our children to church or grandchildren? Does it make any difference that we openly read our Bible to them or pray for them and pray with them? Will they go their own direction when they get a little bit older? God, help us to hear your command that we are to serve you and leave the results up to you. So I pray, Father, that we'll make a new commitment to be godly parents and godly grandparents. And we would allow you to show us in your word what you desire and have designed for us to do as Christian parents. And I pray that we'll be found faithful. God, we would never desire that any of our children or grandchildren or any of the children of any generation that follows us would be lost and without Christ. So, Father, we pray that you will be in our homes and in our hearts and that you will bless us and use us to win our children in our world to a saving knowledge of your Son. Bless us in these moments of invitation. May the Spirit of God speak to hearts and may your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hymn today of decision is number 428, Speak to My Heart. The altar's open. Folks, again, these are hard messages. These are hard things. But nothing for the kingdom of God is easy. If it was, everybody would be doing it. Folks, we need to make new commitments to follow faithfully our Lord. Let us stand as we sing.